about what faith is. I mean, we've seen how faith is stable, how uh, last week faith is patient, how faith is it works by love. We've seen a lot of this stuff. And tonight I want to talk about one of the most important things to me. And maybe it is to you, too. But it's this faith is part eight full of peace. Now, is there anybody in here that just absolutely loves living a life of peace? Yes, there's one thing that I value. It is peace. You know what I mean? And have you ever lived, you know, a period of time without the peace of God? You know, maybe you've lived a season or a time or a life of just turmoil and chaos and and confusion and strife and discord. And I mean, just all these nasty things. There is just nothing worth the peace of God. I mean, there's nothing, nothing, nothing in this world can entice that away from me. We've got to have the peace of God. And I don't know if you've noticed this. How when you're in that peace zone, isn't it a whole lot easier to hear from God? Seriously, isn't it? I mean, isn't it a whole lot easier to make wise decisions when you're being motivated by peace and not by pressure? Okay, because it's a dangerous thing to make decisions when you're being motivated by by pressure or by, you know, just something pushing you and and demanding. You've got to do it right now. If someone demands that I do it right now, listen, this guy won't do it right now. I'll say that's fine. I'll just do without it. I'm not going to I will not get pushed in to making a decision that I can't be led by the peace of God out of. And, you know, that may sound like foolish to you, but that's that's how I live my life. I will not be pushed in to making decisions. Decisions, whether it be sales or anything else, you're not going to push me into it and say, I, I got to have an answer right now. If you don't, it's gone. And then I say, fine, it's gone because I don't make decisions based off of pressure. I make them based off of peace. Faith is full of peace. And if, if I don't have time to hear from God about it, if I don't have time to 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 talk to God and and see which direction he's leading me by his peace, then fine. I can do without whatever it is you want me to do. I can get I can get by without it. Faith is full of peace. And until we get to a place of living in the peace of God, it's going to be really hard to make right decisions. It's going to be really hard uh, to hear from God. It's going to be really hard to build your faith up. Because, listen, if you're if all the time you're just trying to fight off depression and, and strife and anxiety and distress and fear and chaos, if that's where all of your focus and all of your efforts are going into, you're not going to have time to, to focus your faith on healing or finances or children or family. You're, you're just trying to stay alive. If you don't have the peace of God, you are simply trying to survive life. And you weren't meant to survive, you know, just barely make it through and, and, you know, barely squeeze into heaven and, you know, trip over the finish line. God, I made it. Woo! That was rough. But I'm here. You know, praise God. Yes, you're in heaven. Hallelujah. That's the best thing ever. But wouldn't it be great if you could live a life of peace on your way to heaven? If this earth didn't have to, if this didn't have to be hell on earth until you get there. And you know what I said it a few weeks ago, but your home should be a palace of peace, not a prison yard. You should, you should want to go home and be like, you know, no matter what else is going on in this world, what happened at work or at school or, or out there on the streets, whatever, you should be able to finally get back to your 
home, your castle, your place of peace and say, in these four walls, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It should be an absolute sanctuary of the peace of God, whether you have a ton of children or not. Amen. It should be a sanctuary of the peace of God. And and so I, I feel for so many people where it's not that. I mean, it's bad at work and it's even worse going home. That is not God's will for your life. Faith is full of peace. And when we learn to develop this, check it out. Your life, man, you are on your way to getting some massive results for God. When you can flow and walk in the peace of God and live in this, all right? And so um, we're going to open up in prayer and we're going to dig in here. we get got a few things to say. And I believe that God's going to speak to us tonight. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you so much for what we've seen out of, you know, the, the previous seven uh, messages that, that we've talked about here, Lord. And I pray that you are leading us to a higher level of faith. You're building us up. You're strengthening us tonight as we hear the word of God. We've got a lot of verses in here. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so I pray in Jesus' name that tonight you're bringing us up to a higher level. You're going to build us up and encourage us in a great way. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. All right. So faith is full of peace. Number one. Why? Because it knows that God is on your side. Doesn't that just make you feel better to know that God is on your side? I mean, if if I got, you know, news in the morning, like, hey, bad news, Pastor Dave. God is actually not on your side on this one. God's against you now. That would be terrible news. I would I would lose my peace of mind right away. But when you know that God is on your side, you can have the peace of God and say, I, hey, I know it's, it's a chaos out there, but hey, God's on my side, so it doesn't matter. Who can beat God? Nobody can beat God. So let's look at a great verse here tonight. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Oh, gosh. Oh, please. Romans 8, 31. <laughs> All right. There we go. I was thinking I made a wrong turn somewhere. <clears throat> All right. Romans 8, verse 31. And boy, I love this one. I mean, Romans 8 is a great chapter, if you didn't know that. You especially read this last portion of it. It's awesome. But Romans 8, verse 31 It says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, who who can be against us? And I like what my dad always said when I was growing up, said, if God is for us, what difference does it make who's against us? Because they're going to lose. If God is for us, who cares what comes up against you? Because it's not better than God. It's not more powerful than God. It's not smarter than God. It doesn't have more money than God does. It doesn't have, you know, more influence than God does. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that gives me great peace of mind. Knowing God is on my side. I am on God's side. We're teamed up. We're a pair. We're two peas in a pod. And when we're together, man, look out. Man, look out. And so out of all of this, okay, I always, man, I I love looking at these Old Testament stories. There's so many good ones. But an absolutely perfect one that I want to look at tonight for talking about the peace of God is the story of, of David. The story of David. I mean... Wow. We, of course, you've heard this so much, you know, growing up and here at church. But listen, if you can, there's so many things that you can get out of studying what David went through as he faced this giant. 
You think you've faced something big. I mean, David faced something really, really big. And he could have been just a chaotic mess. He could have been anxiety-ridden and, and everything, but he wasn't. He had the peace of God. So let's look in our Bibles at 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's get here. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel 17. Now, of course, as you know the story, uh, Israel is in a, a war against their arch nemesis, the Philistines. And, you know, these guys, they're big, they're bullies, and they are absolutely winning the fight. The Philistines are just, I mean, just smashing these guys. And one thing they did, I told you before, they, uh, they, they, they took captive all the blacksmiths and all the silver workers. And so after that, I mean, then the, the Israelites don't have anybody to make shields or swords for them anymore. I, it was just a, you know, brilliant wartime strategy. And so that Israel just really doesn't stand a chance. They are getting pounded. But every day, as you know, this giant comes out. And speaks to them every single day and trash talks them and makes fun of them and everything else and saying, come on, is there any, is, is there any man or is this just a bunch of little girls who wants to do this? Pick somebody to fight against me. And every single day. These grown men, they came running back to their tents, crying, you know, sucking their thumbs, saying, oh, God, why, why us? Oh. And they, they were, did they have peace? No. They didn't have any peace at all. They were terrified out of their wits of this guy, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And listen, if you don't deal with a giant, he is not going away. The giant will every day come out and tell you what he's going to do. He will threaten you. He will, he's not going away. If you're an easy target and you don't stand up for yourself, the giant, the bully, the devil, he is not going anywhere. He's going to pick on you and take your lunch money every day of your life until you realize the authority that you have in Jesus and stand up and do something about it. And so here we have these soldiers of Israel every day terrified, I mean, crying, just a, a nasty, ugly situation. You don't want to see this. But First Samuel 17, uh, we're going to stop, pick up here at verse 32. David rolls in one day to deliver lunch to his brothers. And, and check out what David says. He sees this giant making fun of everything. Verse 32, he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Can you imagine that? David at the time, uh, we know, is a teenage boy, 15, 16 maybe years old, and it says that he wasn't anything special. He was just, a little, you know, little, just a kid, just skinny, scrawny, acne teenager, just, you know, doing his thing. And he, he rolls up and he's like, oh, hey, king, don't worry, I got it. I'll find it. I'll go find him for it. And I mean, what in the world is going through his mind? What in the world is going through his mind? And so he, he's pleading with the king Saul saying, come on, just let me do this. I can do it. And Saul saying, no, you're a kid. You're going you're gonna to embarrass us even worse. If we send out a little kid to do our fighting and the grown men are in the tents crying. You know, how, how sissy do you look at that point if the best thing you've got is a little kid and you send him out there, okay, fight him. I mean, this is just looking worse by the minute. But he keeps talking to Saul and look at verse 37 as he's talking to him. Here's what he says. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. He said, 
and may the Lord be with you. And so David, why was he so confident? Well, one reason is because he knew that God was on his side. And we'll see that later. He knew that God was on his side. And, and one thing that he specifically says is, this guy's an uncircumcised Philistine. Well, what does that mean? He's saying, listen, this guy does not have a covenant with God. Circumcision. This guy has, he has, he's got nothing with God. We're all, man, we're, we're in covenant with God. God's on our side. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that's making fun of God? He doesn't stand a chance if we go out there and fight him. He was so confident that God was on his side. And another thing that he did is he starts bringing up previous victories that God had brought him through. He brings up the time he fought a bear. This is a teenage boy that took down a bear with a rock. You kidding me? That's incredible. You know, that seriously, that, you know, we think, yes, that's a great story in the Bible. This really happened. Who believes this really happened? This is not just some, you know, folklore of Jewish fables of times past. This teenage boy literally took out a bear with a rock. Then another time, a lion came and tried to attack some of his sheep. And David killed the thing with his bare hands. This stuff really happened. And did he do it because he's so special and so strong and coordinated? No. God helped him. And maybe if you're going through something right now, you could look at things from your past and say, well, God brought me through this. He brought me through that. I know he did this. And, and I mean, what's this, what's this problem right here? I mean, God brought me through all these. Why would he fail me right now? And you've got to bring up the victories of the past and remind yourself, yeah, God's on my side. He was on my side back then, and he's on my side right now because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said he'd never leave me or forsake me, so why in the world would he leave me right now in my moment of need? He won't. God is on my side. And so these are the type of things that David was saying and David was thinking when he made this decision to go out there and fight this giant. And so David was confident. And he was full of peace. There's no record of his knees knocking and him shaking and him trembling and saying, Oh, why did I, what did I get myself into? Why did I open my big mouth? No, this kid was convinced, convinced that he was going to win this fight. He, and he was absolutely convinced that this was a winnable fight and that he was going to win. He was full of the peace of God as he did this whole thing. And so when you're confident... That God's on your side, you can have peace even in the middle of your biggest problems. You can have peace even in the middle of your biggest problems. God is on your side. And you know, I've told the story before of, you know, know, when I met this, I worked at Barstow Towing for, you know, back in the day as a dispatcher when I, you know, anyway. So one night, I've told this story that, uh, I, I go in there, and there's this UFC fighter that he had broken down in Barstow, this guy named Tito Ortiz, okay? You know, uh, and I'm not into UFC stuff, not against it, it's just not my thing. And so, <laughs> Donna's son's a professional fighter. But, um, but you know, th- I just remember going in there and, and, and meeting this guy, and I had seen him on TV before. The only place I knew him from was the Celebrity Apprentice was Donald Trump. I saw him on there. He was, <laughs> he was on that. But but here I am, and I and I seen him on TV, but never in person. And so I I walk in, and this guy is honestly a lot bigger than I thought he was going to be. He he was huge. His arms, I mean, he was wearing a t-shirt. His arms were huge, and even 
He had the biggest head I've ever seen in my life. It was huge. He could stand behind an oak tree and you could have a foot of head on either side. It was a huge head. I've never seen anything like this. And so, you know, I'm in there and, you know, we, we take pictures. I've got pictures somewhere of it and, and an autograph and all this crazy stuff. But, but I just remember, you know, thinking, man, you know, if somebody wanted to pick on me and I had old Tito over here on my side, I wouldn't be afraid of anything. If he just headbutted him for me, I would be in great shape. Because that head could, like, knock a cow out, man. Huge. Huge head. And so, here we are. And, and I'm thinking, man, if this guy's on my side, I'm not going to be afraid of anything. You can bring the biggest bully in Barstow around. And, hey, if I've got Tito, I, hey, I'm totally confident. I remember, you know, I, I've been able to meet several NBA players over the years. And, and seeing some of these NBA players, these men are huge human beings, you know. I've met a seven foot two guy, seven three, and, you know, and, and when you're in the NBA and you're that tall, you're not just goofy and lanky and tripping over your feet tall. You're actually coordinated and muscular tall. And so I'm just thinking about all these, you know, amazing athletes and physical specimens that, that, that you know, that I've met over the years. And all these guys, it would be really a great confidence booster if in the schoolyard the bully's picking on you and one of these guys steps up and says, hey, I'm on his side. I would feel so much better. But even better than that, let's break it down. You know where I'm going. Even better than having a professional fighter on your side is having God Almighty on your side. You know, Isaiah 40 verse 12 tells us that God's hand is so big, he holds all the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. Can you imagine that? And I I mean, I'm taking this literally, okay? How big of a hand is it that can hold that? I mean, I, I can probably hold like a tablespoon of water in the palm of my hand or something. I don't know. I know I definitely couldn't hold like a full mud puddle or even a cup of water. But God's hand is so big, he can hold all the waters of the earth. And the palm of his hand. Check it out. This guy is on your side. He's on your side. Why are you afraid? He is on. Now, if he was against me and I was going against him, I'd be terrified. But I'm not. If God is for me, who can be against me? God is on your side and God wants you to win. God wants you to succeed. And if you truly grasp this in your heart, now, it's one thing to say, I know. Listen, I'm, ta- don't, I'm not talking about getting a, a, a physical acknowledgement that the Bible recorded these sayings. I'm talking about grasping this with your heart and saying, yeah, God is on my side. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If God is for me, who can be against me? I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Listen. If you get it from your head into your heart, you will have the peace of God. Now, there's a lot of people that say, I know every single verse you just quoted, and that is absolutely awesome. But again, it's one thing to know the Bible and acknowledge the Scripture and say, I know know it's in there. And it's another thing to let it come alive in your heart. The Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the best weapon in the world if you'll get it. And God is on your side. When you truly get a grasp of that, you experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And there's a quote that I always share. You've heard me say this a hundred times. But peace consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. 
Peace does not consist in the absence of danger. It consists in the presence of God. Okay, you, you could be in the middle of the fighting ISIS. You could be in the middle of a war zone with bombs and missiles and rockets and bullets whizzing past. And somehow on the inside have the peace of God. Because peace doesn't have to do with your physical surroundings. It has to do with your inward condition. Or you could, you could be home tonight on your couch sitting there. There's no bullets whizzing by. There's nothing going on. But you could be tormented and have zero peace and be the most miserable wretch on the face of the planet. And there's nothing else. There's, there's no physical danger, but you don't have any peace. So peace doesn't mean that there's an absence of danger. Peace means you have the presence of God in your life. And if there's one thing that we've got to get a hold of, it's we've got to cultivate the presence of God. I want the presence of God in my life. I, don't, I do not want to live without God's presence. I want the presence of God in my life every single day. So I want us to um, go to, well, I penciled this in. This isn't going to be on the screen, but turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, one of my favorite psalms. I quote verses 1 and 2 every morning. Psalm 27. Yeah. Psalm 27, verse, I'm going to read a few verses here, but if you don't write anything else down tonight, write Psalm 27 down, and when you wake up tomorrow morning, read Psalm 27. Psalm 27, I'll read this in the NLT here, but Psalm 27, man, I I just love this. And actually, uh, one night, about three or four years ago, I... uh, we were having pre-service prayer, and my man Dylan right here, he comes up to the mic and says, I don't know who this is for, but I'm just going to read Psalm 27. The guy read the whole thing, and I mean, just melted me, man. I, I, know, I Of course, I'd uh, read this many times before, but just something about it. And since that time, Dylan, this has been one of my go-to chapters. But Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. I love this What I'm getting ready to read right here. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Because sometimes the attack still comes, doesn't it? Sometimes it still comes and David says, hey... Even if I do get attacked, I don't care. It's not going to change anything. I still will remain confident even if the attack comes. I'm going to remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What did we just talk about? The presence of the Lord. And David, what did he say? The thing that he seeks most is to live in the house of the Lord. He didn't mean to physically, literally live inside of the church building. He wanted to live in the presence of God because in God's presence is peace. And His presence is fullness of joy. And His presence is every answer that you could possibly ever need. And David, who the book of Hebrews tells us is a man after God's own heart, David, you, man, if you need to get this. David said, the thing that I seek most, my number one thing that I seek after is to live in the house of God, to live in God's presence. 
Why is it do you think that David was a man after God's own heart? Why is it do you think that David was so mighty and powerful and did so many things? Because, yeah, he made mistakes. He wasn't perfect, but he just constantly tried to live in the presence of God. David was a worshiper. He sang worship songs. He sang hymns. He prayed. He danced. He did the things that it takes to have the presence of God in your life. This is an amazing lesson right here. He says, I want to live in the, the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. When troubles come, where's God going to hide you? In his presence. He's going to protect you in his presence. He will hide me in his sanctuary. I love this. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. And I just always picture all the enemies coming to surround you and God picking you up and putting you up on a rock out of their reach. And you can, you can wave down at them. You can throw stuff at them. You can spit on them. I don't care. Whatever you do up there. But listen, I just picture God picking you up and placing you out of reach of the enemy when they come against you. Isn't this? I mean, this is great stuff. Verse 6. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. And so I'll, I'll just I'll stop there on Psalm 27. But out of all that, man, do you see how David could be a man of the peace of God? Okay, again, we're studying his battle against Goliath tonight. But here's David as an adult saying all the days of my life, I've just been trying to live in the presence of God. I've been singing. I've been worshiping. I've been dancing. I've been shouting with joy all the days of my life. And David lived a life of peace because David lived in the presence of God. So faith is full of peace, number one, because it knows God is on your side. But number two, it's because God is bigger than any problem. God is bigger than any problem we could possibly ever face. Now, Goliath was the biggest problem that David had faced up to this point in time. Now, later on in his life, David faced a lot of serious issues. Bigger, I believe, bigger than Goliath. But at this time... This was the biggest thing. I mean, he'd killed lions and bears and he he'd protected sheep and, you know, probably killed snakes and all kinds of crazy stuff. But here he is and he's facing the biggest problem that he's ever seen in his life. Goliath was over nine feet tall. I mean, can you imagine somebody over nine feet tall? And again, I'm not talking about some clumsy goof, okay? You know, I don't say that disrespectfully. I, one kid I went to high school with, he, was, he played ball with me. He was 6'8". Nice kid, but just real uncoordinated and clumsy. So I'd dribble the ball between his legs and go, go around him and stuff. It's fun. But, but this poor kid, he was totally uncoordinated. So, you know, it's not his fault, but, but he wasn't that threatening and intimidating. Goliath, over nine feet tall of pure athletic skill, agility, muscle. He was sure-footed. He was, I mean, just, he was gifted and talented and strong, and he was tough. Nine feet of muscle, man. Just nine feet of muscle and killing. There's no telling how many people Goliath had killed in his life because it says he was a man of war since he was a youth. He'd been killing and fighting since he was a kid, man. And he was huge and he knew what he was doing. He was absolutely a killing machine. But look, David wasn't focused on how big Goliath was, was he? David was focused on how big God is. And a lot of us in here, we're focused on how big the Goliath in our life is. That's all of our focus is on, man, this is big. I, I don't know. I, this is huge. I don't, huge. I don't know what to do. 
quit focusing on Goliath. Focus on God. If you want to have any peace, I mean, if you want to be tortured and miserable, then fine. Look at your problems straight in the eyes every single day and let it talk to you. But if you want the peace of God, you've got to focus on God because your problems are bigger than you are. But they're not bigger than God is. If you, if you were bigger than your problems, and I told someone this morning that came to me for prayer, listen, you obviously do not have the answer. If you had the answer, you would have taken care of this a long time ago, wouldn't you? And she said, yeah, I would have if I knew what to do. And, and, and listen, sometimes you've just got to get down and say, yeah. Every time we need to get down and say, yeah, man, I can't do this on my own. I need God. And so your problem is bigger than you, but it's not bigger than your God. And so you've got to get your focus off of you and off of what you're going to do and get your focus on God and what God's going to do. There's a quote that I love uh, from Charles Swindle. He said, every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as huge problems. Every day we encounter, I mean, brilliant opportunities. We could either say, oh man, this is a huge problem. Or we could say, oh, this is an amazing opportunity to prove how big God is. Because when we knock this out of the way, wow, what a testimony. People are going to be amazed at what God did. And so, what, I mean, what, what is your perspective on your life? Do you see it as one big problem? Or do you see things as a huge opportunity for people to come in and say, wow, if God could heal that, I, I, man, yeah, I believe in God. I want to hear more about this. Or if God could deliver you, if God could do this, yeah, I want to hear about your God. Tell me, I need that too. So what is your perspective? And I'm just going to quote this verse. You guys probably know it, but John 16, 33, you can write it down. In the New King James, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, In the world you are going to have tribulation. You are going to have things come against you. The enemy is going to attack. That is a 100% guaranteed thing. The devil will try to attack you. He will probably use people. He will probably use, you know, anything he can try to use, sickness, anything. The devil will try to attack you. But Jesus said, don't worry about that. Be of good cheer because I have overcome this world. God's on your side. And God is bigger than any problem you can face. Again, I don't want you to acknowledge this with your head. God does not need your mental acknowledgement. He does not need your approval to be God. He does not need, you know, your, your permission, your vote. No, I need you to get this in your heart and say, yes, this is true. I will be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. That's a biblical truth and fact. The truth will set you free when you accept it. Okay? And I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that never get set free because they will not accept the fact and the truth that Jesus loves them. They will not accept the truth that Jesus died and rose again. And I mean, the truth is right there, but they just, they never do anything with it. And so it, it, they never get set free. But to those people that will receive the truth, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so what I'm trying to just get to us tonight is we got to get past this place of saying, I know that verse, that's a good one, I love it. I put it up on my refrigerator. You need to get this in your heart. These verses we're talking about, if you want 
the peace of God. Because peace cannot be achieved mentally. Peace can only be achieved spiritually. You've got to get this. Alright, and so, uh, we're just talking a bunch about David tonight, but we're already in Psalms. Why not go to Psalm 91? Who wants to go over there? I mean, come on, we're there. Yeah. Psalm 91. And here is another good one. Why don't you write this one down and read it tomorrow morning too? I bet if you read Psalm 27 and Psalm 91 to start your day tomorrow, you'll have an amazing Monday. Who wants to have an amazing, fabulous, terrific Monday tomorrow? All right. Well, it's not just going to happen. You're going to have to do something about it. So I think that you should read some of these verses that we're throwing out here tonight. And I think you should read Psalm 27 and Psalm 91. So check this out. It says, Psalm 91, verse 9. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. Psalm 91, verse 9. It says, If you make the Lord your refuge, and if you make the Lord, or the Most High, your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Now, in my Bible, under all those ifs, I underlined them twice because that is a huge thing right here. Okay, it doesn't just say, you know, the Lord, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come to your home. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. It says, if you make the Lord your refuge, you got to make the Lord your refuge if you want these things to happen to you. If you make the most high your shelter, then no evil will conquer you. But it doesn't just say, hey, everybody, good news. No evil is going to conquer you. No plague is going to come to your home. Don't worry about it. Just do your thing, man. Live your life. Party. Woo. No. It says, if you make the Lord your refuge and if you make the most high your shelter. And think about this. You know, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. You know, the plague can be many things. I, I think oftentimes we think about, well, that's good. I'm not going to get the chicken pox. Um, yeah, fine. But what are the, I'm talking about what are the plagues that try to terrorize and conquer your home in our day and age? Divorce? Your kids going nuts? You know, turmoil, chaos, just your house being hell on earth? It says, if you'll make the Lord your refuge, if you'll make the most high your shelter... No evil will conquer you, but I love this. No plague will come near your home. I think divorce is a plague in the United States. It's a plague that tries to come and just murder families, you know, emotionally and every other way. And so I love this, and I can quote this with confidence and say, I'm making you my shelter. This plague of divorce, this plague of ripping my children to pieces, this plague that tries to absolutely massacre the American family, it's not coming near this home. I mean, it, I'm, I can't speak for my neighbors. It may knock on their door, but it's not coming near my home. It is not going to conquer me because the Lord's my shelter. He's uh, the most high is my refuge. This stuff's not getting me. I've got the peace of God and I'm claiming this stuff over my life. Amen. Quick, 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 quick story. All right. Um, Thursday. Okay. I, uh, I, I ran out to pick up my daughter from school cause she has half day school, preschool. And so Katie had been up on I with the baby. So she, her and little baby Sam are back there taking a nap. I, you know, I run out the door. Uh, I left it unlocked. I grew up in the country, and so yeah, I pretty much I, I'm a very trustful person. May, some areas I shouldn't be, but I'm just, you know, I just whatever. So I get back, and I, there's a young man sitting in my front yard, just sitting on the rock. And I'm like, hey, what's up? 
And he's like, oh, hey, you know, I'm just waiting on some friends. Can I sit on your rock? And, you know, it's hot, and I want to sit under the shade. And I'm like, hey, man, you sit there, and, hey, it's hot. You enjoy that shade tree. Be, be blessed, brother. And so, you know, I go inside. Then a few minutes later, someone comes just banging on my door. And this dude sitting on my rock, he was this lookout for some people that were robbing my next-door neighbor at, you know, 1130 in the afternoon. And they went in there and robbed their house. And the crazy thing is their house was locked. They've got security signs all over the place. They've got many, many, uh, my, my neighbor's much more security minded than me. He's got so many, re- you know, there's, there's cars there. There's absolutely no reason why they picked this house. Mine would have been an easy target. There's no cars there. The door was unlocked and my wife and baby were asleep back there. And I've learned a lesson. I'm not, you know, I'm going to be much more security minded, but Listen to me. No plague will come near your home. I'm sorry that, it, you know, and my neighbors, I love them. I'm, I'm helping them, but they aren't serving the Lord yet. Okay. So, but, but I, I'll say this, you know, and I went over there and called the police and all this stuff because there, there was the, her phone froze up. And so it's the big, long story. Anyway, so, um, the, but what I'm trying to get to is this, is that, you know, praise God. I would have been the easiest target on the block and I had the most to lose, honestly, at that point. And so... Thank God that we live in the shelter of the Most High. We abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The plague comes knocking all around us. But praise God that, that, that He was there that day. Amen? And so, you've got to claim these verses. And, and I, you know, hey, I do this stuff every day, man. I speak these verses over my life my family, and my children. And again, just like the financial faith confession I've been talking about, you can think it's weird, but hey, I think it's only weird if it didn't work. It actually is working. And so listen to me. I'll I'll keep doing this because it works. Speak the word of God over your life. No evil will conquer you. No evil will conquer you, all right? If you make the Lord your shelter, all right? So let's get down to point number three. Who wants to know what number three is tonight? All right. Number three, why is faith full of peace? Number three, because it knows the end result. Because it knows the end result. You know, it's one thing to, you know, watch a movie and be on the edge of your seat. But if you already know what's going to happen in the end, you know, it takes the whole, it's not that scary anymore. Or if you're reading a story and, and you know, it's, it's exciting and, and thrilling, but you've already read the last couple of pages. It's like, hey, and listen, when it comes to my fight with the devil, I've read the last couple of pages. He's going to get locked up and thrown away forever and ever and ever and never get out. I've read the end of the book. Faith is full of peace because it knows the end result. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. I'm trying to move quickly. So, Romans 8.28. And I told you Romans 8 is a good one. It's a good one. Romans 8, verse 28. We've got to get these verses in our hearts. Romans 8.28 it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, I love that, that God causes everything to work together for my good, man. The enemy may have tried to attack. God picked me up and put me on this high rock. They can't even reach me. They're up there, you know, they're down there jumping, trying to get to me, but they can't because God picked me up. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And that is just, 
that brings the peace of God to know that, hey, man, it's all going to work out. It's I'm coming out on top of this. I'm going to win. I am going to win because God always causes everything to work together for my good. I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always come out on top every single time. And again, you know, some people, some Christians, some churches will say, that's a, I don't know if I'd say that. That's a pretty bold thing. I will say that. That God always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 2.14. He always does. And He always causes everything to work together for my good. And so, listen, when you're a person of faith and you've got this peace you can step out and do the things that God really wants you to do, okay? You can, you can, as the world would say, take risk and step out on a limb. But I'll say this, that doing something God told you to do is not really a risk. Not doing something that God told you to do is a risk. You know what I mean? A lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to stay in the boat over here. I don't want to go out there. It looks too risky. Man, if God told you to get out of the boat and walk on the water, the most dangerous place for you to be is inside that boat. You jump out and get going. You know what I mean? It's swim, whatever he told you, just go. But it is uh, the most dangerous thing you could do. The most risky thing you could do is ignore God and not obey what he told you to do. So if God told you to do something and you know it in your heart, and it may sound crazy, it may sound like, oh, I don't know, that sounds risky. You better do it because it is very risky to not do it. And so David, let's get back to this First Samuel 17, turn there. First Samuel 17, David, he didn't see the fight against Goliath as risky. He didn't see this as, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, he didn't see that. He saw this in full confidence. He was totally convinced that he was going to win. Nobody else was. His brothers didn't think he would. The king didn't think he would. The other soldiers didn't think he would. The Philistines didn't think he would. Nobody was on David's side. Nobody thought he could win. And maybe you're in a situation where it seems like nobody's on your side. Nobody thinks you can do it. But listen, if you are doing what God told you to do, that's all you need. You do not need man's approval. You do not need, you know, everybody else's uh, vote of confidence. You just need to do what God told you to do. And so 1 Samuel 17, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 45. And so David's out there talking to uh, the Philistine giant. The giant's yelling a bunch of stuff at him. Hey, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. Uh, you know, I mean, just some pretty legit trash talk. He's like, I'm going to just absolutely murder you. And so David, verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you defied. And so he's saying, you're coming at me at weapons. You are. I feel sorry for you because I'm coming at you in the name of God. And he ain't happy because you've been making fun of him. You've defied him. And so David, I mean, he's absolutely throwing this back at the giant. He's got weapons. He's got everything on his side. And David said, you've got all this fancy. I know I've got the name of God and he's on my side and he's mad at you and you've defied him. I'm coming at you, man. And so look at this. Verse 46, David says, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Talk about some talking. Woo! That's good stuff right there. And I love it, man. You know, I'm a dude. I like to hear stuff like this. I'm sorry. 
But he said, I'm going to kill you, your mommy, your daddy, your cousins, your friends, your buddies, your whole army. I'm going to kill all of them. And he's going at them. And I'm like, yeah, woo! this is good stuff, man. Makes me want to go watch all, you know, the whole Rocky series, all except Rocky five. All the other ones, I want to, you know, I want to see him be, you know, Apollo. And a, all right, anyway, so, so here he is, and David's saying, I'm coming at you, and everybody, after I beat you, everyone's going to know that there's a God in Israel. This is, this is a win-win situation, because everyone's going to know that God is real. And think about it. When you face a giant and you win, doesn't that prove even more the existence of God? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you, if you just go around doing little things all the time that you can do in your own strength, that doesn't prove God at all. You know what I mean? I, 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 you understand me on that? That when you start facing things and stepping up against things that are beyond your control and beyond your abilities, and you face them and beat them, people have to say, oh, that had to be God that they got that job. That had to be God that they made it. That had to be God they got healed of that. That had to be God that this happened. There is a God in Israel. There is a God in Barstow. There is a God in your life. Verse 47, David says, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And so God said, he's going to beat you, and he's, he doesn't need swords and spears. No, he's just going to beat you, and he's going to give you over to us. And so look here at, uh, at verse 48. You've got to, man, you've just got to get this. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. And, you know, I've said it so many times, but I love this. David didn't tiptoe out there or, or, or crawl or, or, you know, just try to sneak up. David saw Goliath running and he started running towards Goliath. He was like, I want this so bad. I am going to kill a giant. I was born for this. He was not scared. He was not intimidated. He just got up and ran to meet the giant. Verse 49, it says, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit that Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. I love this. And then uh, verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. So everybody else sees this. They see the, the giant fall and stumble. They're all absolutely shocked. I mean, can you, do you, can you see this? Goliath falling face down on the ground. And the only thing louder falling was everybody else's jaws cracking. <gasps> I mean, everybody was like, it actually happened. He, he actually won. What do we do now? I, but then it says, like, the whole Philistine army, all of a sudden, the Israelite army was like, yeah, woo, we can do this. And so now, now they all come running out of their tents. And all, now all of a sudden they're warriors. And they chase the Philistines into the hills and all this stuff. But they were shocked. But notice right here, there's no record of David being shocked. There's no record of David saying, oh, my gosh, it actually worked. I, whoa, wow. I, I didn't think it was going to work. Oh, my. No, the whole time David was absolutely just he, he knew it was going to happen. Look at verse 51. Because earlier, uh, David made a promise to Goliath. He said, I, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to cut your head off. And, you know, that sounds so gory, but, but David made a promise. And David's a man of his word. So I love this. David could have done this any number of ways. But look at verse 51. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath. 
David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Wow. I mean, you know, if you understand ancient battle, I mean, this was to, to die by, by your own sword for somebody to kill you. That was the, the worst insult ever. And so David, this giant sword, takes it out. He said, I told you this was coming. He cuts his head off. And, you know, this sounds so good, but he takes it back into town showing everybody, hey, look at this. And, and I mean, there is a God in Israel. And so whatever it is you're facing today, you're going to walk out these doors and I can pretty much guarantee you something other than the peace of God will try to come and just knock you down and say, you don't got the money, family's falling apart. You know, the sickness is coming again. It's coming back. It may be gone now, but it's coming back. You know, all these things that are going to try to come and attack you. But you, if you've got the word of God hidden in your heart like David did, if you make it, as David said, the thing I seek more than anything is to live in the presence of God. If that's you, yes, you're going to be full of the peace of God. And you're going to have the faith of God to face any giant that comes against you. Faith is full of peace. That's what God wants for you. And that's what we're praying for. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and we'll stand up tonight. We'll call it quits there.